Aloha, this is Dr. Tiki, and my prescription for you is to listen to Sci-Fi Saturday Night. your people to surrender now and avoid war. Don't think you get me so easily. It is now time for us to put Earth under our roof. It's your sacred duty to tell us the truth. Confess, confess that you will give you witchcraft. You think me to believe that you can overrun the entire world? We cannot be defeated. We have never been defeated. That is the message. Yeah, they're dead. They're all messed up. Five by Saturday night. Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. America, and even the folks up there listening in Canada, because I know you are. And welcome to another Area 51 recording of Sci-Fi Saturday Night, the one and only podcast guarantee that if you listen, you get to hear stuff. In tonight's episode, which is episode 493, unless you're listening during the day, in which case it's today's episode. It's another pandemic countdown day here in Area 51, and we're being forced to have to wear masks again. So, Commander Cam, put your mask back on uh, because of the Delta variant, uh, because some people are stupidly still not uh, getting vaccinated. Uh, And I checked your vaccination card, and it's B21, I-36, N-73, G-54, and O-17. You did not get a free space, so it's no bingo for you. How are you doing tonight, Captain Ham? Ognib. <laughs> you're still well, a dork. Playing, you know that. We're not playing Ognib? You're not playing Ognib tonight. Fine, okay, fine, you know, because that was the great way to pass the time in between guests, you know, was our wonderful games of Ognib. I know, I know, and I'm sorry that the computer screen was flipped right right side wrong for you. I had that fixed. It was Alienware for Plutonians, and when they decided Pluto was no longer a planet, we had to send it back. That's too bad. I'm sorry. I know, I know, I know. I'll try to get over it, you know, and stop sending hate mail to certain people, you know. I did, you know, certain, uh, you know, as people that know astronomy and physics and all that sort of stuff, you know. Well, I know astrology, but I have no clue yeah. when it comes to actual astronomy. But by the way, did you did you happen to see that that thing that the idiot from Amazon went up in uh, uh, this week? I did see pictures of it. Yes. <laughs> Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and that's all I'm saying here, Chief. <laughs> yeah, 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 and you know, in other news on, on Amazon this week, but I, I'm just I'm leaving it there. I'm leaving it there. That and double A batteries, but I'm leaving it there. Uh, it was an interesting they took away, you know, an interesting that I saw on the news was that he claimed that now he was an astronaut because he went into space. And then immediately they changed the criteria for what you had to be to be an astronaut. So he's no longer an astronaut. All righty. So way to go, Bezos. You ain't an astronaut anymore. And I don't know why. 
But he isn't. So I feel bad yeah. about it, but not really. So, you know, even though you're a multimillionaire, billionaire, zillionaire, A, you're not an astronaut, and B, pay your goddamn taxes. And that's all I've got to say. Sounds good. All you realize, right. A, he still ain't paying his taxes. Yeah. And B, he's not an astronaut. So pay your taxes and maybe we'll let you be an astronaut. Just saying. <laughs> <laughs> Bezos, pay your taxes and I will personally talk to the head of NASA about letting you be an astronaut. How's that? Because I know a guy. I know a guy who might let you be an astronaut if you pay one-tenth of one percent of your billions in taxes. You alone. Don't, don't, don't remember, though, after that moon incident, you know, you, you, you're not oh, loud shit. within 100 yards of... Okay. Ah, oh, shit. Yeah, I know that thing with the moon. I know. I know. I know. I know. I know. I know. So, tonight's we are calling Casual Vampirism Night in honor of a new author. Is that a good night? Is that a good way to call tonight? I think so. I'm good Unless with it. Unless it's a day in which we'll call today Casual Vampirism Day. Although, I... we could also call today, uh, um, 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 what else could we call today? We could also call today Casual Lycanthrope Day. Yes. I prefer that, actually. That is the term I prefer to be called as a casual lycanthrope. Well, we could also gotta... call, we could call today casual bingo lycanthrope day. Yes, we could. And I think we should, uh, you know, let uh, get uh, talking to the author so that our audience doesn't get any more confused than they are. <laughs> well, only, only if we can talk about the difference between Garkin and Gherkin. But that's for later. Because I got very confused at that point. But in order to unconfuse ourselves with the difference between the two, let's bring in the person who can unconfuse us about all of this. The author of. Help me with the name of the book very quickly. Garkane. And the person who wrote the book with that dulcet voice, Anna J. Mm -hmm. Werner. Anna, welcome to Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. It's a pleasure hey, to be you're here. Welcome. Well, you say that now, but we still got half an hour to go. So we're not really sure if you mean that, but we'll know in an hour. <laughs> Deal. Okay. So this is your debut vampire novel. It is indeed, yes. Is this your debut novel? It's not. Uh, I wrote another series prior to this that is not widely popular but i didn't intend for it to be it was written for my daughter uh with her in mind so it is a middle grade fantasy this is a young adult fantasy and it is the first in the allure legacy series so uh i would consider it to be my jumping off point in my author career but there are so, a couple of other books out there so this is your first stab so to speak in the vampire series 
Absolutely, yes. Did you like the whole stab blood thing that I did? Personally, I would have I would have gone with first nibble, you know, or yeah, bite, first bite. But, yeah. <laughs> God, you guys are getting real good at the whole other thing there. But yeah, 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 I, yeah. I like the stab thing better, but that's that's just me. I'm good either way. We'll go we'll go with nibble. So let's talk about Garcane. Garcane, yes. Not gherkin. Oh, and no. I'm good with that because I don't want to confuse this with the pickle. We're good. <laughs> yeah. um, Entirely different things. Now, what we want to get out of the way real quick after we get over the pickle thing, which is fine, and I'm good with that, is it? this is, I think, the first time that I've read a vampire novel that is set in Australia, but it really isn't, but it is, but it isn't, but it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. <laughs> and right. what I mean by it isn't is that it kind of starts out in Dallas. Well, it Houston. starts out in Houston. Houston, I'm sorry. Right. Yeah, which is actually where I'm from. And uh, so that was the jumping off point for the beginning of the book is actually the genesis of Anna J. Walner, which was my own adoption, where I was adopted just as Amelia was from hospital in Houston, Texas, when I was just a baby as well. And the whole point of the start off is um, a point at which a lot of adopted people start to find out about their past which is they open up an ancestry kit mm-hmm. and at some point say, I'd really like to find out about my past one way or another. And I think all of us, uh, whether we've been in that position or we know somebody in that position or we've read about somebody in that position, um, have done that or know somebody who've done that or read about somebody who've done that. Uh, often wonder about uh, what that might entail when that letter comes or when that reply hits or when that uh, can of worms gets opened, so to speak. Very true. Yeah, it's uh, I did take the DNA test uh, about uh, two years ago, and um, it was quite a while before I actually found a match. So, uh, but I did, and I did reconnect with my maternal biological side of my family. The only thing that I knew was that I had an Australian heritage. So I grew up always knowing that and being fascinated with the Australian culture and Aboriginal culture and always wanted to find out more about it. And this story was really kind of a way for me to bring some creativity from the things that I'd always thought as an adoptee, you you grow up always wondering and questioning just as Amelia does, you know, why was I given away for adoption and uh, what is my biological heritage? So I really took it in a different direction, 
a really wild direction with her. And I had a lot of fun doing that. I would say so. I mean, unless, of course, you know, there there is obviously the the grain of your reality in, in the, the the story in in the the story through of of, the, of this uh, narrative. However, <laughs> Indeed. Let, let's, let's put a big caveat in, in here as well. Um, what Anna finds out, I'm sorry, what, what, <laughs> what Anna finds out and what Amelia finds out are two very different things. Let's just put that right out there. Good save on that spoiler there, Dobe, you know. <laughs> yes, absolutely. She's quite surprised to find that the family she uh, envisioned is entirely different from what she ever thought could exist. And she agrees to things she never thought she would, becomes something she never thought existed, and ultimately she finds a life and a family worth dying for. Literally and Literally. figuratively and Indeed. emotionally. <laughs> uh, and without giving away uh, too much of the story and without, well, some of it we have to give away because this is part of a much longer or what we hope, what you hope to be is a, a long form series of books is, is, is about an entire uh new well how do we put this community i I would say new community sure which which is beginning to build in the australian outback the colony is a secret society that has been in hiding uh from human eyes a safe haven for both lycanthrope and vampire who escaped religious persecution in 1788 to come to the colony of New Holland, which is now Australia. And uh, it is a, Amelia is being called home for a purpose. And you find out that her, you find out what that purpose is as the book continues. And she really does rise to the occasion and take up her position that she's being offered in the book. So we'll see a lot of growth from Amelia and throughout the story, we'll see a lot of world building when it comes to the colony and everyone inside. So within, within, within this world, you've created actually three different spaces. You've created uh, a, a place for, uh, the vampire colony. You've created a place for um, uh, for lycanthrope for, <laughs> for the lycanthrope colony, and you've created a third space as well, or the beginning of a third space as well. And this is mm-hmm. this is this is a new world that you're building, and within this within this build, uh you're you're building this whole new space and this is what i find absolutely fascinating uh and this is the space that amelia and her new mate rowan who is lycanthrope are going to build together uh correct and it's just uh 
a very interesting duo that you've brought together, uh, which is not new as we find out about a third of the way through the book, which was brought together uh, by Amelia's mother, Phoebe, uh, uh, in the prior generation. Correct. As the as the narrative moves along, and it is a very character centric uh, novel, it does focus on world building. But I really wanted to create a connection between readers and the characters so that they would become emotionally invested uh, with Amelia and Anatole, Roan, Ambrose, Phoebe and the entire cast, because uh, they are really the ones that will drive the narrative forward as the series progresses. So we will see their decisions and their actions really create the colony and what it becomes in the coming books in the series. So there will be four books in the series total, and the second will be releasing in November. Yeah, the there's one guy that I feel really bad for in that whole series group of, of uh, characters that you put together. And I feel bad for him. And I don't, and I didn't know why until I was told why. And that's Trevor. Trevor. Oh yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Trevor kind of, um, Trevor kind of gets a little pushed around, uh, in this society, um, uh, Garcane, who are not able to naturally contribute to the diversity of that's how they have survived and evolved over time is by incorporating different genetics into the Garcane bloodline. So if that includes mating rituals and includes uh, diversifying the bloodline, and if you are not able to conceive then it is sort of a caste system sort of uh, situation yeah, over, that Trevor finds himself in as a valet. And and it's over a very defined period of time as well. If you yes. can't do it between this period and this period, mm-hmm. you become a servant. And that's exactly. it. You're done, boy. So there um, are a lot of things that Amelia really does not like uh, at, about the colony and looks forward to making these changes once she's in a position to do so. And what you've done, uh, which I find really, really interesting, is you put a lot of bricks into place right off the bat in setting yeah. up the society so that as we progress over the course of time, and you put this plan into place, there are certain things that we see that should happen, that can happen, that might happen, and how Amelia and Roan, along with Ambrose and Phoebe, God help us, uh, (laughs) um, have, have to make things change and evolve. Right. Uh, there's there's a system of power that's in place now in the first book that Amelia is being asked to become involved in a transition of, of power. And so that is something that there are certain steps that she must take in order to make that come about. And to do that, she has to agree to some pretty 
some pretty wild things, especially considering that the first book takes place over a time period of about two weeks in, uh, in the Australian outback. And then, you know, we flash forward to um, to wrapping up her life in Texas and preparing for the next leg of the journey, which is the second book. And one of the interesting things that I really enjoyed about this story, Anna, is that you've taken the vampires and the werewolves and moved them away from the mythos that we're used to, or even, you know, the original mythos that used to exist, you know, 300, 400, 500 years ago. Uh, the vampires are actually a, their own, gen- For correct me if I'm wrong, but they're their own genetic species. It it is. It has become that way. And uh, I took a look at, you know, the way that all that all systems evolve, whether it's uh, flora and fauna or whether it's uh, mammals. And, you know, that's why when you say where dingoes, yes, it seems a little strange to think of it that way. But if you are a new species that is or a species that is being introduced into a new environment, then it's you know, you must adapt in order to survive. So the way that they were able to do that is by blending with the native population of wild dogs, which are dingoes. So they lost their wolf form. But we will examine, I I do get often asked this question, uh, and we will at some point examine the original mythos and the origin stories for both species. I just cannot say when. Right, right. And I, and I completely understand that. But what I love of what you've done here is you've completely moved it so that these instead of this being a curse where a lot of vampire stories, you know, good, bad and indifferent, um, it is more of a curse. It's It's less of this is a whole genetic species that has existed alongside ours. And it almost... I mean, obviously, this is going to be a bad analogy, so please forgive it. <laughs> but it's they go through a transformation, much like a, a caterpillar to a butterfly. Like I said, bad analogy. We will move beyond it. Um, but, you know, promise they, they, me. Yes, yeah, I'll try. I make no promises. You know that. But they 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 can change. They become they go from. Human like because they're obviously not human. Genetically, they are different in some way to this vampire form and you've even created i hope this is not too much of a spoiler here but one (laughs) of the coolest things you've done here is that they have to breed before they can move on to becoming this let's say higher form of life you know correct for lack of a better term and i like that concept of that you know you must have your children and then you can move on to becoming a full-fledged you know, vampire, you know, and I just like this idea of sort of like the caterpillar, again, falling back at that analogy, I apologize, <laughs> the caterpillar laying the eggs. You're going to get in trouble. <laughs> I'm getting in such deep <laughs> trouble. Okay, we're just going to cut it off here, okay? <laughs> but anyway, I just like what you're doing here with this, creating the vampires to be slightly different than ones we're used to. And the right. same thing's true with the, with the lycanthropes, the lycanthropes and how they make their first change. Mm-hmm. is different than anything I think we've seen. It's not the, if a man is pure of heart, 
and says his prayers can still uh, turn into a werewolf when the uh, when the uh, wolfsbane blooms sort of thing. Right. I wanted to stray away from the typical things that we that we are continually given when selecting paranormal romance books. And that's what I would consider this to be as a paranormal romance, YA fantasy. And we're generally, when dealing with that, we're generally taken back to high school and we're dealing with vampires and humans and sometimes lycanthrope as well or, or shifters. And then uh, you have that that level of teen angst. And if you'll notice, a lot of um, all of that is missing in Garcane because I did not want to go there. I wanted to give something, give readers something that was entirely fresh that they would say, like, why has no one written this before? Why has no one thought of this before? Because they say if you want to, you know, if you can't find the book that you want to read, you need to write it. And that's exactly what I did. I took everything that I didn't like, I tossed it out the window, and I started fresh and incorporated science and genetics into the mix to make it more believable for the audience so that you could truly imagine that these people, both Garcane and LaRugo, are walking among us at any given time, and you would never know. And I and I did notice that what you did there, and I really enjoyed it. Is there not? If they're angsty, they're angsty about things that have nothing to do with who they are. They're they they you know it's you know who they're going to date you know that sort of stuff. They're not right. angsty about you know oh I'm a blood sucking creature oh I'm a were dingo right um, well although understandably oh were dingo you weird didn't just dingo. do that did you <laughs> yes I did I went okay just checking but yeah but they're not <laughs> angsty about who they are. In fact, they're they're rather pro- it's 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 a fact of life. I mean, no more. Yes. They're no more angsty about that than we're angsty about being human beings. You know, we may be Correct. angsty about some of the things we can and can't do as individuals, but as a, we're not angsty about being part of a certain species. And Correct. I like that. I really like what you did there. It was it was a lot of fun. It yeah, made, I wanted it look to. Interesting. I wanted to remove that because, you know, there's there's this certain amount of brooding that's expected and this certain amount of but we deal with more of a this is just how it is. This is how we're born. Um, We're this is this is who we, we are, who we are. And then we deal with things that are more important, which is the political aspects within the colony and the colony structure in and of itself, and also the family dynamics that are in place where Amelia is concerned. So, so let me ask you a question. Uh, I kind of get the idea of you taking your life or at least a portion of what you perceive of your biography and laying a tracing paper over it and putting a vampire novel on top of it so that you could do that and and make your make a kind of semi audio autobiographical uh paranormal romance vampire novel out of what was your not your your background i kind of get that but where did amelia come from Amelia really is based a lot on myself 
So the strong-willed, um, the strong will that she has, she knows her own person. She knows her own mind. She's not easily led astray by, you know, she, she questions things. She's not just going along for the ride. She's headstrong, sometimes stubborn and independent. And those are all things that I happen to have in common with her. So I did write a bit of myself into Amelia's character, actually quite a bit of it. And the wit and witticisms that she has are absolutely something that I would say <laughs> in the dialogue. Sounds like we're in trouble. Anyway. <laughs> um, so you were actually writing a lot of this stuff out of your own voice. In a way, yes. Yeah, I, I really did put myself in Amelia's shoes and into the other character's shoes, but more so Amelia's because uh, writing her was very easy to do once I got into that mindset because I said, well, I just kind of played it forward as if it were a role-playing experiment. And I said, well, okay, well, what would I do if I were in this situation? And so as I was writing the narrative and writing the dialogue, it was very much me coming out on the paper. And so it was really fun to write that. So I was almost living this fantasy along with the readers as I was writing uh, the, the story. So how far along does this series go then? How far along have you like, have you had, okay, <laughs> rewind, replay, pause. Have you, have you, <laughs> have you parsed out this series into umpty nine more books to go where? You no, know, we, we do have a, we do have an end destination. And I am currently working on the final book in the series. So it is just taking me a bit of time because I owe it to fans of the Uluru Legacy series to wrap things up in a way. Because each book, I will go ahead and give this away, and you know this, um, the first book leaves you with some questions. It Quite does. a few questions. It does, and yes. And uh, the second book is the same, uh, as will be the third. And so in the fourth and final book, there is a lot of pressure from an author standpoint to really wrap this up into a nice finish that will be a satisfying conclusion to the legacy for readers. I don't want to leave any questions unanswered, so I'm taking my time finishing up the series i'm hearing we got four <laughs> yes yes we have four okay and where are we with book two seeing as book one just came out ah book two is available for pre-order now and will be releasing november 2nd the nice. third the third in the series has yet to be determined so that is something that I'm still mulling as to when the release date will be. But my guess is you've kind of got this broad spectrum outline in place. So you've, you've got the building blocks in place. I do. I do. And, uh, uh, you know, you've, 
you know where things are going by the second book. You really see things start to take shape and you can kind of intonate where things are going to go, you know, uh, as far as relationships are concerned, interpersonal relationships, the dynamic of the colony and the political dynamics that are changing within the colony. Who is who a better sense of each character as they're more closely, you know, um, examined and so you get to kind of see a little bit more into exactly what's going on so you'll but I do still like to surprise my readers so book two is full of a lot of surprises I have already had a couple of ARC reviewers so they have been sent out to a couple of people for ARC reviews and I have had some very strong emotions over the second book already <laughs> because it is uh, it is kind of a, a a powder keg the first book is really a primer for you to get to know the world and get to know the characters a bit so who in the first book did any of the characters surprise you oh absolutely they constantly surprise me I don't outline. So as I write, sometimes a character will surprise me in an absolutely delightful way. And I say, oh, my God, I didn't expect you to do that. And it opens up a whole new area of exploration that I can choose to go to or not to go to. And so tertiary characters or even secondary characters have actually made their way into primary character roles in the second book, and I didn't think that that would ever happen when I was writing the first book. Cool. Can I guess that Michelle surprises you sometimes? Michelle, yes. I mean, Michelle will, she's, she's very quirky, and I loved writing Michelle because she's just so fun and always just kind of, she has her melodramatic moments, but she also has those, you know, just fun kind of ditzy moments where she's, you know, uh, bouncing off the walls. And it's it, it really was fun to to write her, uh, mm-hmm. her character. But I, I would say uh, probably Ambrose and Anatole. I really enjoyed writing their characters um, more than I did Michelle's. Mm. Yeah. Well. This has been an interesting book. Now, I've got to tell you, um, interesting is is a curse. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, absolutely. I understand. You know, a lycanthrope walks into a bar and says, I feel like a change. And the bartender goes, not here, you don't. Anyway. (laughs) How long Um, have you been holding on to that one? Really? (laughs) Exactly. I've been waiting the whole podcast just to drop I that one. I, I knew it. I knew it. It was it was right there in the notes. I just tried not to, <laughs> you, know, you know, let you spoil that one for you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, when Amelia says to Roan, we aren't leaving Australia again, are we? That is, I think, the biggest bit bit of fake foreshadowing I've ever heard in my life. 
That is the funniest MacGuffin you've ever dropped in a book. Uh, you know, I mean, <laughs> they're, they're being tasked with, with taking over this monumental, you know, uh, feat of combining two separate colonies who have formed a tentative truce for the sake of survival and bringing those two communities together to live as one. You know, there are boundary conflicts and uh, their I presence know. is required. So I know that. And I stand here now book. on episode four, 493 <laughs> to say to you right now that this is the biggest MacGuffin you have ever written. That's all I'm saying. They may or may and, not leave Australia again. And when you come back on to talk about book four, Mm-hmm. We shall revisit that. <laughs> he will just play the clip, you know, and look. Sure. I will play the oh. clip, and we will discuss it. No then. worries. But between now and then, we have been it's talking with Anna J. Walner about book one of the Uluru Legacy series, Garcane, not to be confused with the pickle, no. but to be totally confused with an interesting new series about vampires and lycanthropes set in the Australian outback. Give it a read. It's a fun, easy, enjoyable read. Uh, it's been a great joy having you on the show tonight. Thanks so much. Absolutely. It was my pleasure. Thank you both for having me on. You're welcome. Sci-Fi Saturday Night is the official podcast of Granite Con, Plastic City Comic Con, and the Upper Valley Comic Expo. We are also sponsored by Dreamforge Magazine, a superb magazine of fantasy and science fiction, and Comic Art House. Visit Comic Art House for some of the best deals on original art from dozens of your favorite artists. And if you're looking for a really great gift book for that rapidly approaching semi-annual Fairbanks Melt Day celebration, consider a look at Sci-Fi Saturday Night's first anthology, My Peculiar Family. Now on Amazon and BarnesandNoble.com. My Peculiar Family, the audiobook, is available on Audible, because I'm not sure where else you could find it. Our intro production was provided by Rob Watts. For more of his amazing stuff, just look at RobWattsOnline.com. And don't forget to try the Watts sauce. We have, we love it. Our outro was provided by Lawrence Made Me Cry. You can find Lawrence Made Me Cry's music on Bandcamp and a whole lot of love to Jojo and Celine. Many thanks to the gang from his booking books. Thank you, Captain Cam. This is Dome saying, Terry and Jeannie shared pain as lessons, shared joy increased. Thus do we all refute entropy. Better things are coming, Stacy. Stay strong, Liz. So, unless it's daytime, good night, everybody. Yep, that's me. I'm Yakko. Hello, nurse. <laughs>